That's good enough for me. Can we give it up to Jesus, our King of kings and our Lord of lords? God, thank you. Thank you, God, for Jesus. You may be seated. Hi. I love you. I missed you. So grateful to be back. I can't tell you how, I am, how grateful I am to be back. And can I just say, the young people that are here tonight, I don't know if you're just surviving off energy drinks or pure adrenaline, but just your exuberance and your joy is absolutely contagious and absolutely infectious. I'm speaking as a 48-year-old guy. I, I, I'm pumped up. Y'all have me completely turned up. And those testimonies, oh my goodness, those testimonies were such a blessing. When you can get a young person that has an encounter with God that is genuine and personal, it is an experience that they will never trade for anything else in the entire world. So kudos to you all. Grateful for the last session. Now you can go home, take showers, put on some proper deodorant, lay in your own bed, and wait until next year. So grateful to be here. Listen, your pastors are uh, some of my best friends on the entire planet. Um, pastors Mark and Nina Elmendorp are dear to my heart. Uh, fun fact for those of you that don't know, Pastor Mark is the first person that invited me to speak in this country 13, 14 years ago. And because of that invitation, I've come back almost 30 times in 13 years. And so uh, I just honor you. I love you so much. And if anybody messes with you, I will punch them in the throat. <laughs> in Jesus' name. And if you just add Jesus' name to the end of it, it all gets better. Okay. So um, if you have your Bibles, uh, this is the last session for everybody. If you have your Bibles, I want you to go to the Gospel according to St. Luke. The Gospel according to St. Luke chapter number 14, the gospel according to St. Luke chapter number 14. I want to read some verses in your hearing, and then I will give you the title of the message, uh, and then I'll pray, and then I'll be off. Uh, Pastor Mark told me I could preach until 12 midnight, and um, I don't think I'm going to need that long. I'll probably wrap up around 1135, <laughs> then we'll go to sleep. Okay. Um, the Gospel according to St. Luke, chapter number 14. I'm reading from the New Living Translation of the Bible. Uh, it might be different from yours, but I think it will convey the same sentiment. Luke 14, starting at the 25th verse. When you have a say, amen. amen. Here's what the Word of God says. A large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, if you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison. Your father and your mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin until you count the cost. For what 
For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there is enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Ha <laughs> ha. I added the laughs because they said he would laugh at you. So let's get it right. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his soldiers marching, uh, could, uh, unless uh, to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him. And if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss a terms of peace while the enemy is still afar, still far away. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. Now, if this was the end of this narrative, it fits, but it's not. This seems very serious in tone. This is a part of Jesus not being lamb right now. He's being the lion. He's not either or, he is both and. And so this is the lion talking. This is not tra-la-la-la Jesus. Splinkening his Jesus glitter, telling everyone it's going to be okay. This is lion Jesus. Make a decision, Jesus. Do you want to follow me or not, Jesus? Are you in or are you out, Jesus? Are you going to carry your cross or are you walking away, Jesus? Have you counted the cost or are you ready to push in all your chips and walk away, Jesus? That tone belies the last couple of verses. After all of this discipleship talk, the man pivots to seasonings. Salt is good for seasoning. Did you change channels, Jesus? I'm just, I thought, I thought I was, did we somehow get on the Food Network and, and you didn't let me know how? You just, you sounded so firm and now. Salt is good for seasoning. But if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? Really, Jesus? Flavorless salt is good neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown away. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Really? Let's just, let's just go over um, the last few verses right before the channel changes. Just as a recap, he starts off by saying, if you want to meet my disciple, you got to hate everybody, including yourself. 
So hate your mom and your dad and your brothers and sisters and you in comparison to him. Got it. And then you got to pick up your cross or you can't be my disciple. Got it. Uh, don't even start following me unless you count up the cost. If you're a construction and you want to build something, do you know if you have enough money to finish it? And if you run out of money, they're all going to laugh at you. Got it. And if you're a king and you go to war, you better sit down first and figure out if you got 10,000 people and they got 20, can you really kick their butts or not? Got it. Salt is good for seasoning. <laughs> Even in the recap, it doesn't seem to fit. But anytime he says something, there's significance. Even if it seems random, there's significance. Salt is good for seasoning. But if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? Flavorless salt is good neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It should be thrown away. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. So if you're taking notes on this message, three words, pass the salt. That's what I want to talk to you about. Pass the salt. Would you look at, uh, if you would indulge me for a moment, in uh, the African-American Pentecostal church that I was raised in, you talk to the person sitting next to you. We call them affectionately your neighbor. <laughs> they may not be your neighbor. They're your neighbor now. So I just want you to look at your neighbor on either side and say, neighbor, neighbor. Good, evening. good evening. Thank you, Thank you. for brushing your teeth. That way, when you say hallelujah, I'm not offended. <laughs> say, neighbor, neighbor, would you kindly, kindly. Pass, the salt? pass the salt? Now look at your other neighbor and say, other neighbor. Other What's, up? What's up? Thank you, Thank you. for wearing deodorant. <laughs> that way, when you lift your hands to praise him, I'm not offended. <laughs> say, neighbor, neighbor. Just, in case, just in case you did not hear the title of Tim's message, at this very moment, I will repeat for you the title of the message. Neighbor, would you kindly pass the salt? It's good. It's good. Bow your heads. Let's pray over the word before we get started, shall we? Holy Spirit, make us salty. Amen. I pray quick. It's the last session. These kids could fall asleep any moment. I must keep going with a sense of urgency. Uh, the Gospel according to St. Matthew is um, a very meticulous uh, account of Jesus' life uh, put together by a doctor who is writing for a man named Theophilus and wants to give an accurate account of the life of Jesus. He is not a first-hand eyewitness, but being a doctor, he is an investigator who wants to ensure that what he puts to paper 
is the accurate account of the life lived by the man Yeshua, the Jewish man who would be the Messiah. Jesus uh, starts his ministry, and uh, as a good rabbi and teacher, he is always explaining the truths about what he wants to convey to people through stories, parables, and illustrations. Scripture says that he actually never teaches one time without them. And I'm so thankful, because this is the God of the universe who chooses to come down and wrap himself in humanity. And if he were to talk on his level and not ours, we would not understand anything that he had to say. Imagine the architect of the entire universe talking to you as if you would understand how to put the cosmos together. While he has only allowed this planet to be the planet with life, proof of life, not the imaginations and machinations of aliens that come on another planet. Have you ever noticed that all the aliens look like they were just some warped humans? Our imagination just knows how to make an ugly face, but they still have arms and legs. Like we don't, we do not have the genius of God. So he explains things through parables. He starts explaining things through illustrations. And we come to this particular parable, and it is gripping me. It is fascinating to me that he would be so firm at one point and seemingly turn to another. Discipleship is important. We've been in a series in this church on evangelism. I declare and believe that the best evangelists are disciples. People that have been committed to Jesus and with a fervency and a joy cannot keep the revelation they've received to themselves. Disciples of Jesus make the best evangelists because they're so happy about what God has done in their life they want to make sure everybody gets it. Have you ever tasted something so good you couldn't keep it to yourself? I mean, the first bite that you took as it canvassed your palate, you think to yourself, everyone must know. And they must know now. And so you whip out your phone. And you slide to portrait because photo alone won't do. You need the bun and the sesames on it to look lifelike. And you take a picture of it and you post it because you want everyone to know I'm having something you're not having. I'm having the best bite of food I've ever had in my life. And if you're smart, you will join me. If you're smart, you will find the restaurant. If you're smart, you will come to where I am because you must enjoy it too. If you don't feel like that about Jesus anymore, 
My hope and my prayer is that by the end of this message, your passion turns back up. I never want to be in a place that my relationship with Jesus has become so personal that it's exclusive. He's my Jesus. I don't share him. I have a personal relationship with him. Can you tell me about him? Nope, nope, nope. He's all mine. Well, can you just share a little bit about your experience? No, 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 no. It's my story. I'd rather keep it to myself. No, I want people that are on fire for Jesus and that can't keep it to themselves. And if you talk to them for more than 10 minutes, Jesus is going to come out of their mouth. Anytime I'm on an airplane and I'm flying across the country or flying to this country, because this is my second home, um, anytime I'm flying here, I tell people all the time, if you sit next to me, please be aware that you have a 10-minute window for general conversation. If you choose to talk to me for more than 10 minutes, I am not responsible for the gospel message you are going to hear, whether you want to hear it or not. I don't care if you're an atheist. I don't care if you're agnostic. I don't care if you're church hurt. I don't care if you broke up with your church and you're never going back. If you are with me on the 11th minute, you are about to hear about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and there's nothing you can do about it, and I ain't apologizing. You don't apologize for your life? I don't apologize for mine. I'm pretty gangster in that way. I was born in L.A. Let's go. When that little kid came up and I saw that Los Angeles shirt, I said, that boy, that boy's going to be somebody. <laughs> Jesus talks to these people about discipleship, and he gives the very real severe weight of what you need to do to count the cost. Like, I love this about Jesus because he wants to ensure that nobody's with him just based on a feeling. A true rabbi is always vetting his followers. Why are you with me? Is it just for the fish and the loaves? Is it just because of the miracles? Is it just because of the signs and wonders? I just want to make sure, if you're going to keep following me, do you not understand that you need to hate everybody compared to me, including yourself? Yes, Jesus, I still want to follow you. Cool. Do you know you have to pick up a cross? Yes, Jesus, I still want to follow you. Instead of going, good on you, mate, let's go. He goes, cool, but count the cost. Because <laughs> I don't want you to start and then somewhere down the road, you stop. I don't want you to date me for two and a half years, but then when life gets hard and your prayers are not answered in 20 minutes, then you walk away. So please count the costs. Because when you step into a relationship with me, I am your friend. But above that, I am Savior and Lord. I'm not just a rescuer. I am a king. And I have commands. And I don't change them because you've had a bad day. 
I don't tailor them because they don't suit your personality. I don't rewrite it like a constitution. These are commands and decrees. They stand forever. So please make sure you really want this relationship. Because I could say something to you at some point, ask you to do something at some point that goes against all of your sensibilities. I just need to know if you still be down to do it. Yes, Jesus. Cool. Do you know that salt <laughs> is good for seasoning? <laughs> I know I've said this three times already, but I don't get tired of it. And kudos to the graphic people for that graphic. You guys are amazing. I love you. That's brilliant. Do you know that that's salt? And that woman's hand with those nice nails and those pushback cuticles? I notice everything. Do you know salt is good for seasoning? But if the salt loses its flavor, how can you make it salty again? This has to be a rhetorical question. Flavorless salt is good neither for the soil nor the manure pile. I just love that he said manure pile. I just love that they translated it manure pile. It is thrown away. Then he says this, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Let me break this down. Hearing and listening are two different things. Anyone with ears to hear shouldn't just hear. You should listen. Don't just listen. Understand what he's trying to say. Now, I must admit, as a bit of a foodie myself, I love salt on certain things. I believe... If I were prime minister or president, that no potato, whether it be mashed, boiled, grilled, or fried, should ever be served without salt. If I become president, every potato, near and far, Locally grown, imported from afar. There would never be another potato served on anyone's plate, canvassed around anyone's palate that did not contain salt. If I become president, there will be a salt shaker handed out to every Australian every American, and anybody else that likes a proper chip. Have you ever tasted food that needed salt? Don't expose the person that cooked it. <laughs> Look straight ahead. But have you ever 
whatever you were eating, put it in your mouth, and you just said, can someone pass the salt? I just need a little bit of the salt on my food to make it whole again. It's almost there, but it just needs a few dashes, and then it'll be perfect. Anybody beside me ever needed some salt on their food? Have you ever been in a restaurant where someone who has been there prior to you has pulled the dastardly prank of unscrewing the top of the salt shaker just enough that when you go to sprinkle your salt, the entire container of salt falls across your food. Anybody beside me been the recipient of that tragedy? It makes me want to take all the camera footage in the restaurant and pray that it's done in 4K so I can zoom in, find the face, and then pay $49.99 to find the house. Because I believe justice should be done. happens after all of the salt? It's the food. It's over. There's no brushing it off. The whole meal is destroyed because some yahoo just wanted to unscrew the lid just enough to ruin my day. Salt is good in measure. It can be bad unmeasured. So I have three points to this message that are really no-duh points. But sometimes no-duh points are the best points to try to give. I, I want to talk about us being the salt that Jesus is talking about. Because he is not being random, and this is not a pivot. What he is saying is, if you fully counted the cost, then you have been deputized to be my salt in this earth. An earth that needs a seasoning an earth that needs a flavoring, and I need a certain type of person to distribute that flavor. So I have three points to this point. Number one, please write this down. Salt seasons. I told you these were no duh points. Salt seasons. There's a man in my country. Actually, he's not from our country. But, but he came to our country and became a sensation. And it just seems in America, the more outlandish you are, or the more niche your element, you can become a celebrity. This man comes, I believe, from Turkey, and he comes to our country, and he serves steak. He serves huge pieces steak 
more than any person should consume at one time. This guy comes to serve a steak, and his ending coup d'etat, the end of how he wants to put his exclamation mark on the steak that he has just served you after he's cut it up and put it on your plate, is he takes a handful of salt and he starts sprinkling it from his hand. It dribbles down his arm, bounces off his elbow, and lands on your steak. And everyone has their phone out. Watching the man sprinkle salt on steak. They even gave him a nickname. He's referred to affectionately as Salt Bay. The man just walks out. You Google Salt Bay later, or some of you with ADHD now. You type in Salt Bay, you're just gonna see this. All he's doing is seasoning the steak. But that's what we're supposed to be doing as believers in Jesus Christ to the entire planet. We are God's salt bay. When he wanted to take a corrupted humanity and show his grace and love through Jesus and his death on the cross, he chose us to do this. To just walk into your office and do this. To go back to your school and do this. To show up to your job and do this. For some of you all that or going back to homes where your parents aren't believers or you don't have an infrastructure that, that you might be the first person to believe in Jesus, guess what your job is now? It's not to come back and judge them for where they are not. It's to show them where you have been. And he calls us to just season. D do you know the discretion you have to have to make sure the seasoning is right? Our evangelism has to be seasoned. You don't just go around dousing salt everywhere. <laughs> hey, you! Want to hear about Jesus? Huh? You know, if you go to hell right now, it's going to be because you don't believe in Jesus. You're going to bust hell wide open. Too much salt. Way too much salt. I would even dare to say, you're just a salty person. <laughs> the antithesis of the salty person I'm trying to communicate to you now. Salt takes finesse and measurement 
and even timing. Because it's supposed to season the life. Season the atmosphere. Season the family. Season the school. Season the work environment. It's supposed to be just enough for them to go, why are you so different? This work environment is so stressful and you have so much peace. Everybody at this school is crazy and you're not. Everybody in our family has gotten divorced and y'all are still married. What is happening there? We got the same issues as you. We just have something you don't. Everybody do this. I know you're going to look goofy. Just do it. Just do it. You're supposed to be a seasoned person. We are God's seasoning to culture. We are God's seasoning to the world. We are God's seasoning to this country. Salt seasons. Point number two, please write this down. Salt preserves. Salt just doesn't season. Salt preserves. You take a butcher, they cut up all the meat. If you want to preserve it for a long time, use way more salt. Because you're not seasoning it to eat it or to, to make it good to the palate. You are preserving it to be used for a later use. And so salt has the power to preserve. And when used as a preservative, you use way more salt. We got to have way more salt in our lives as believers to go the distance for Jesus. You have to have enough salt to preserve your integrity, to preserve your character, to preserve your outlook and devotion towards Jesus as Lord. This is why you can't forsake the assembly of yourselves. This is why it's so important to be a part of a local community church. This is why we do the day in and day out of life together as believers. We might get on each other's nerves. We might have some differences, but these are my people. I might not want to sit next to you next Sunday, but I'm not leaving the whole church. You just got on my nerves this week. I'll be your friend again next week. Why? Because I have salt that has preserved me. I'm not easily offended when I have enough salt. I'm not easily discouraged when I have enough salt. I'm not easily upset when I have enough salt. Salt is a great preservative. And when you know how to use it as a preservative, it can make something that was going to spoil and deteriorate last so much longer. Salt preserves. And point number three, please write this down. Salt kills. Salt is great for seasoning. Salt 
is great for a preservative and salt will kill you. <laughs> Too much salt will take you straight to your creator. <laughs> you will meet him face to face. <laughs> Too much salt is deadly. And so you have to know when to season, when to preserve, and when to kill. Ecclesiastes says there's a time for killing. So when we break this down, when we talk about seasoning, preserving, and killing, who are we seasoning, what are we preserving, and then who's supposed to be killed? Please let us know this one, sir, before we leave. It's going to be very important for me to know this one. I don't want to kill the wrong person. We are supposed to season the world. We are supposed to preserve our faith. And we are to kill our flesh. I've been in church now for 48 years. Been a believer in Jesus Christ for 27 and a half. I have seen the church sometimes misapply how much salt belongs to which group of people. I have seen the beloved church of Jesus Christ and its followers impassioned, devoted, go to parades with groups of people they don't agree with, with picket signs and angry faces, and attempt to douse salt all over them, hoping to kill their behavior or their orientation or their wills or their ways when they're just doing what they were born to do, which is sin. I reckon we were all born in sin, shaping in iniquity, and before you had a relationship with Jesus Christ, you know what you were doing? Actively sinning. Since giving your life to Jesus Christ, you know what you do? Not actively sin as hard as you can, and then when you fall, Thank God for forgiveness. So why would we be dousing salt on the world we're actually supposed to be seasoning? We season humanity with the love and joy that Jesus Christ has put down on the inside of us. That's what he meant by you are the salt of the world. Go salt it. Go season it. Let them know we are not all like you. We're not all bothered by what you're bothered by. We all have a different perspective and joy, and it comes from the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's seasoning. Preservation is what we have for disciples. We have to preserve our faith. We want this to last until our very last breath. 
I did not become a believer in Jesus Christ to be a fair-weather believer. When things are good, then I'm in, and when things are bad, then I'm out. I have a salt that preserves my faith. So when we talk about salt killing, who is it supposed to kill? Me. You know who needs the salt doused on them? What is salt supposed to kill? Me. My will. My way. My thinking. My ambition. My leanings. My disposition. My idiosyncrasies. The salt's supposed to kill me. And if you do it right, you'll probably be dying on average daily. If you use the salt just right to kill you, you should die on average once a day. On my wildest days, it's probably somewhere between 11 to 15 times. <laughs> Give or take, I, don't, I stopped counting. All I know is it rises up and I'm like, die, die, die. All right, here comes the sad, morbid part of the story for the people that love every living creature. Have you ever seen a snail <laughs> just trying to get to wherever snails go? And then someone gets some salt and follows the snail's trail and decides, although I don't like escargot, I think this little fella needs salt. And I take the cap off, and I don't sprinkle it, I pour it. I know I've just made a bunch of people mad. You're like, you killing machine, you. Arrest him. <laughs> that snail was minding his own business, trying to get through his life. And I became <laughs> judge, jury, and executioner. <laughs> I poured all the salt. I did this as a kid. I can't tell you how many times in California. I poured all the salt on this little guy, and he just bubbled up and died. And once my deed was done, I chucked him into the garden bed where he would continue to decompose and go back to the earth from which he came. Had no idea years later that when I would read the Bible, the Lord's like, you're the snail, Tim. Oh, dang, I forgot what I did to that snail I'm supposed to do to me. Whenever I see anything coming up in me going a direction that is opposite of my Lord and Savior. So I just want to say before I leave that we all have a salt shaker to season to preserve, 
and to kill. We just need to know how much to apply to which situation. So when you think seasoning, sprinkle it on the world. When you think preservation, use enough of it to make sure that you are kept. And when you think killing, don't think of anyone but you. And use enough to kill anything in you that is not like him. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus, I thank you that you would give us the reminder that we are to be salty people. <laughs> that we are to be seasoned people. Preserved people. And people willing to crucify our flesh because we want to be disciples of Jesus Christ. God, I pray that Albany Creek, Brisbane, the greater area where all of the campuses of Emerge Church arise, I pray that these become the saltiest communities <laughs> that this city has ever seen. And that for your glory, we will season, we will preserve, and we will kill. In Jesus' name, amen.